Welcome to Top of Mind with Concilio Wealth, a show about markets, investing, and financial planning. Join us as we cover current events that are in the news and answer top of mind questions from our listeners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. This audio may contain statements that may be deemed as forward-looking. Any such statements are not guarantees of future performance and actual results may differ from those projected. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, tax, or other professional services. Welcome everyone to our second quarter market commentary. This is a little bit of a different video for us. We are going to run this every quarter moving forward in alignment with our quarterly market commentary that we release. Uh, So this is a a deviation from our normal top of mind podcast segment. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about our outlook for the coming quarter. It's our economic outlook. Uh, We're going to talk a bit about consumer confidence. There's something very interesting in the consumer confidence numbers that we think is uh, uh, frankly an opportunity. So we thought we would point it out. We're going to talk about the recession or lack thereof or whenever this recession actually happens or doesn't happen. And it wouldn't be a timely uh, podcast if we didn't talk about the debt ceiling. So we have to bring that up. Um, I say that with all jokes aside, it is May 26th, so it's Friday. Um, you know, we have less than a week uh, before the, the, the deadline um, of a deal. And it's looked promising, but you never know. Uh, lastly, I want to remind all of our listeners that this commentary and really all of our commentary is meant to be informational only. We, uh, when we make a, a comment on a specific area of the market or a specific uh, stock or sector, that is really just our way of, of viewing relative attractiveness to those different areas. Um, that is in no way a recommendation or should be taken as a recommendation to sell out of everywhere else and buy into those things that we might be highlighting. Um, every decision that we make here with our clients' money is all in the context of a very well-diversified portfolio. And uh, so we don't want our our comments here to be construed as, you know, go all in on X. All right, let's get started. I am joined, of course, by Hao Dang. Hello. And hello. And let's get started with, at a high level, where are markets right now, year to date? And how did we get here? And what's our outlook for the next couple of months? Yeah, well, thanks for the timestamp, May 26th markets closed uh, we had some progress on the debt ceiling debate or negotiation whatever you want to call it um uh, headline uh, i don't know if it's really fundamentally shifting anything um other than putting some worry into the markets so as expected right the the nasdaq is up 28 percent on the year and the s p is up uh, nearly 10 percent on the year so Everything we expected, right? (laughs) (laughs) So that's what uh, the commentary, which was really written in late April, it still holds, thankfully. Uh, Obviously, nothing much has happened since late April to now, right? Um, So it still holds. But what we mentioned was how surprisingly good the market performance this year has been in spite of all this news, right? Uh, Let's let's. Yeah, put the debt ceiling into a bucket with potential recession. 
with the SVB collapse, with the First Republic collapse, with you name regional banks collapse, right? The the flows out of regional banks is slowed, meaning people taking the deposits out at a slower rate. They are still taking their deposits out. Anyone hmm. over two hundred fifty thousand should be, you know, worried. You know, they're they're going to park their money into a bank that's too big to fail, like City or J.P. Morgan. So, other than that, the market has quite a few reasons to rally like it has uh, ai being one of them very exciting technology maybe maybe overdone maybe not but it's so new that um similar to crypto as soon as you mentioned that that hot button phrase right uh, i think chris you have the stats of how many times the uh, earnings calls have mentioned ai this quarter I just Which got this record. email, and I don't have the the specific number, but I have the the, the article title is the highest number of S and P five hundred companies citing AI on Q one earnings calls in over ten years. So I don't know what number it is, but it is the highest on record. Yeah, not to deviate too far, AI has always been, at least in its form now, which is just like a aggregator for information, right? It's like a Google on steroids that it takes existing information. It doesn't create any new information itself, right? But it does, a, does it in an impressive way where it forms fully formed sentences and easy to read information rather than raw data. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's so impressive about it. But if you break it down, it is a big data platform versus a genuine sentient being that can think for itself. I think that's where a lot of the misunderstanding of it is because if you look at robo-advisors or algorithmic traders, they're, they're using or have been using that form of AI for decades. They just haven't made it public because they make money off of it. So uh, I guess more recently, NVIDIA has been the, the gold mine supplier, right? So instead of digging for gold, why not sell the picks and shovels to dig for the gold, sell the tools in NVIDIA? And a lot of chip makers have been benefiting from from that when they had such a post I don't know post lockdown decline where mm-hmm. remember the chip shortage where they did really well and then all of a sudden they didn't because they all of a sudden mm-hmm. had too many chips because no one was buying electronics now they're now they're in favor again because everyone wants to buy new chips for AI capabilities and to get all that computing power uh, Nvidia has definitely benefited from really what they do, it just shows you how good their business is at adapting to different cycles, right? First, not first, but it was Bitcoin most recently with them. They did really well during that boom. Ah, Now they're doing really well with AI. Yeah. Yeah, they popped 20% on their earnings report. They delivered a a good earnings report and and I think more importantly, a, a very strong outlook and, um, yeah, their stock popped 20% on earnings, which was really surprising to see, but that's what it did. Yeah, and I think that's what the rally is based fundamentally on, is these these big companies are doing big things. They're doing mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. And the the market response has been more of the earnings reports rather than news in Washington. Mm-hmm. So what about this most obvious recession that just doesn't seem to happen? Markets are doing pretty well this year. So like, what's going on? 
Yeah, depending on what survey you're looking at, uh, the one I've seen the highest is 96% of economists that are surveyed expect a recession this year. Okay. But I think I think 70% of them expected a recession in 2022. So they are just doubling down on their their uh, crystal balls. And they I will think be right Chris, eventually. <laughs> me and Chris always talk about how predicting is a, such a tough business because no one can tell the future, right? And I think um, I, I have a lot of respect for the, the the art form or the science behind economics, but uh, they're always warning us about these these massive downturns that never come to fruition. As they say, the market climbs a wall of worry. And yeah. then when everything feels just fine, then that's when, you know, we all least expected it and, and things sell off. So yeah, it's, you know, eventually there will be an economic recession at some point. There has to be, it's part of the cycle, but it's very, very hard to pinpoint when, and also leading up to that, you know, in the, say the six months prior, oftentimes markets do just fine. Uh, and then after the recession, they do just fine. And so timing it, like if you go back in time and you time stamped the recession and let's say that was a gray line on your chart and you looked at what what were the returns six months prior and six months post, uh, the recession itself doesn't perfectly time the fall of markets and the recovery of markets. It's always right. staggered because of course the data lags. So that I think also adds to the the challenge on if the news hits, what do I do? Well, I'm already in it. So it's hard to it's hard to predict when it happens and then of course what markets may or may not do in the face of that news. Yeah, and recession in this case does address the the elef other elephant in the room, which is inflation. Hmm. Um, inflation came in today at 4.7% for the PCE core inflation. Okay. That's, that's well above the Fed's 2% target. And a recession does solve a lot of that. So does a debt ceiling debacle, because that would be recession-inducing or market-rattling enough could, to where... Could be, yeah. Yeah, especially the government would not be spending at all. Mm -hmm. um, that's a big, big demand side of things where the government is pushing a lot of consumption going, right? Uh, when, we're, when we're mailing something, when we're really operating as a country, that's spending. Um, I think inflation can be solved. I think it's going to gradually go away. I think we've been saying that since the podcast launched a year ago, right? Probably. Yeah, so we've I think we've been always saying that and we're consistent with that. I I think that's what we should get credit for. Um but inflation did tick higher month over month, but I think if you look at the seasonality of things, uh with gas has come up a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And we're heading towards uh, Memorial Day. Is it Memorial Day or Labor Day? I think it's Memorial Day in May, right? Which uh, starts, kicks off the summer vacationing season. This is Memorial Day, yes. And naturally, gas prices go up during that period. Yeah, so consumers keep spending, which is in part what's staving off the potential recession because consumer spending is a big, a big part of the U.S. economy. Yet consumer confidence, confidence is at all-time lows. So let's unpack this a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, consumer confidence and consumer actions are very different from each other right now. Mm -hmm. So consumer confidence is how you feel about your job prospects or your, your pay, your ability to make rent or mortgage. That's at multi-decade lows, and we're talking lower than 2008 was, which I think is pretty crazy. Yeah. 
Yeah, really crazy. We brought up these stats before where uh, the market and the economy aren't the same thing. I get it. But consumer confidence does have a, some say, at least historically, on how the market performs over the next 12 months. Right, so when confidence is good, the market is pretty muted. It still does good. It's still positive, but um, going back to the the 70s, right, <clears throat> the consumer confidence readings once they peak, right, uh, the next 12 months, five out of the nine years where they peaked, the the market is positive, and the average return is 3.5 percent. You're still okay. That's still a pretty good return. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, but post-bottoming or post-trough of consumer sentiment, right? Eight, the, over the next 12 months, eight out of eight instances where the consumer confidence has bottomed have been positive. Hmm. Right? And that's why Warren Buffett is so famous for saying, buy when there's blood in the streets, right? Mm -hmm. Consumer confidence doesn't bottom out because... It just consumers suddenly feel bad about themselves, right? They're, mm -hmm. They that's kind of really it, but they feel bad because something's happening. And what's you have eight out of eight, and then what's the average return from that low? The average return from that low is twenty five percent. Wow. On average, and that's a very impressive return figure from what comes out of the depths of sorrow, right? Like people yeah. are not feeling good about themselves or the economy. What's That's interesting is that doing best. according to the survey, people aren't feeling really great about themselves or the economy and they're still spending. So it's like, uh, spend because it'll get worse sooner. So this is my last spend. My last trip, it's my last meal out yeah. until everything blows up, right? I think that might be the sentiment for... You only live once, right? <laughs> it's the YOLO, YOLO economy. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it could be therapeutic. Uh, we've been locked in our homes you know, uh, that's another debate, but there's this pent up demand. But again, how long can we say that is valid, right? Because mm -hmm. you go on your Disney trip, do you go back three or four times like some people have already, right? Since the economy opened up in the last year and a half. Right. right. That's a lot of Disney trips, even in a normal environment. <laughs> and you probably shouldn't be spending that much discretionary or probably haven't had that much discretionary without debiting into debt if if you're going to Disneyland that much, because we all know that the prices there at the amusement parks are pretty Crazy. high. Yeah. yeah. So it could be, yes, yeah, dress spending. It could be, um, we coined the term revenge spending. We didn't coin mm -hmm. it. We, we borrowed it. Um, it could be a lot of things, the pent up demand, the, the being locked in. It's just folding into, we feel bad, but we're going to spend our way out of it yeah. mentality, which doesn't make sense, but certainly could be. It. it. Yeah. Okay. So if we get a recession, what do, what do we think it's going to be like? Uh, so I think the, the recession in everyone's mind has been relatively severe with 2020 was a pretty severe recession in terms of we locked everything down. There is zero economic activity mm -hmm. to the point where, you know, it, we, we did have a recession in 2020. No one remembers that because the, the stock market was rip-boring and we were ordering in DoorDash and Uber Eats all day long. Mm -hmm. yeah, and we got these big checks coming in from the government. That's one type of recession which 
really severe. The one before that was a severe one in 2008, 2009, where the housing market crashed, and that took the entire global financial system down with it. Those are very severe, very scary incidences in our economy, global. And the consumer sentiment being lower than those two events, that's what makes me question the survey. I think mm. that's weird. Mm-hmm. And now recession here, we're kind of programmed to think recessions are supposed to be severe. Mm. But I think we mentioned the 1990-1991 recession, mm-hmm. which is not famous at all. It's it's more of a blip in the stock market because the 90s were a really great time to invest. And we think it's more of that. We think it's more of that variety. I'll tell you why. The 20, 2008 recession was more credit tightening because banks failed. Money is not being lent. Mm-hmm. Even from the healthy banks, they're not lending money because mm-hmm. everyone's credit whether shot or not, uh, banks raised capital credit requirements so high because they were so scared or gun-shy about lending out money, especially after a collapse, right? Why would you want to buy, uh, lend out money for someone buying a home in 2009? Mm-hmm. You don't know where prices should be and how much underwater the your portfolio is, right? If you're Bank of America and you own... You suddenly owned millions of homes because you had to foreclose on them. Are you? What's your appetite for lending out money? In the mortgage market, has, yeah, mortgage market has so many ripple effects to the rest of the economy, right? If a lot of people I know have tapped equity of their home, mm-hmm. they're buying jet skis, cars, things like that. That mm-hmm. that's spending that moves the economy along, which I think we've seen. Hopefully, a lot of that slow down recently, but. That happens when your your home value goes up in value, right? You tap mm-hmm. into that. And when credit really seizes up, which we don't think is going to be the case here, even with SBB's collapse, I don't see banks slowing lending. Especially these rates, they're they're making they're making very good interest rates. Yeah. And people keep tapping that well. And I think they'll continue, and even more so if rates do eventually come back down, which seems in my eye that this recession could be controllable Hmm. by the Fed. I saw a post recently, um, and I posted this to LinkedIn, but the big home builders all all came out with earnings. So this is like DR Horton and Pulte, and they came out with fantastic earnings. And they said that the demand for our homes is much higher than we thought that it would be. You know, we're selling homes that aren't even built yet. Uh, I just, I'm impressed by those, those numbers. And they also said that their average home is a million bucks. And so it's, it's people are still buying these homes, even in the face of six or 7% mortgage rates. So that's a little surprising to me, but it seems like the real estate market hasn't slowed as much as one would have thought. Uh, There's more time on market. There's more inventory by, by a bit, but it seems like sales are still getting done, which is interesting. I'm going to encourage people to go back. I can't remember what episode. Listen to all the episodes. It would help us. But we've been pretty consistent about when rates were going up. Yeah. We were not convinced that prices for homes would go down significantly. Right. And they did, yeah, and they did come down, but not yeah. a ton. Correct. And now there's this whole other problem that people that are locked in at two and a half or three and a half or four, now I really don't want to sell my house. And so, you know, there's it's no, no secret that we have a housing shortage in the U.S., which is possibly why even higher and higher rates hasn't cooled the market as much as anticipated. 
Yeah, yeah. I, th- I would suggest. I think we did it in episode one. I would suggest <laughs> people go back to one. If it wasn't in there, just go to two and then three, and, so on. But, <laughs> and then go to three, and then go yeah, to four. I'm pretty sure we mentioned that because <laughs> I think we started this when rates were still on their yeah. upswing. Yeah, yeah. And they were severe, and we did not. I don't think we trashed housing or real estate, or at least uh, residential real estate, much. Right. Okay, let's move to the debt ceiling as we as we wrap here. So uh, obviously the biggest topic in the news right now is this. Uh, again, it's Friday, May 26th. This might be resolved in the next couple of days by the time this is released. It might not be resolved. So what's our take and uh, what do you think about this, Hal? So the market has not reacted notably negatively to this, or if at all. Uh, I think the, the rally has been driven by other factors than what I th- I think uh, you and I agree would be ultimately noise here. Hmm. And again, I think I mentioned it last time, it, it's just unnecessary. We've had over 100 debt ceiling raises since 1917. And why are we suddenly making this political? This is cr- kind of crazy. But it's not sudden. It. It's always political. It's just now it's, always, it's in the news. Yeah, yeah. So now we all see it all the time because this yeah. is always how the debate happens, right? Yeah, it's negotiating, right? One side wants this, one side yeah. wants that. They got, yeah. and I think it's been more newsworthy because one side here, one side there, seem further and further apart each year. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, I'm not, I'm not saying it, it's a inevitable, but there could be the divergence grow so large that maybe there won't be an agreement eventually. I, yeah. Again, uh, this. As of the market close, we had quite a bit of progress. Uh, Kevin McCarthy has been, I guess, very public with coming out of the negotiating room every 15 minutes and telling everyone the progress. Mm-hmm. Like, might as well just telecast the thing because he's very public about where where the agreements are heading or eventually heading. Um, so the last time we had an issue like this was 2011. If we look at performance in the market – we had about a 16% drop from the peak to the bottom in that August of 2011. The year ended positive 2%. So if you kind of get a, get out of that headline, that's actually a pretty normal year, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Normal volatility is Correct. about 15% down any given year. And then the market's yeah. generally finished positive, but yeah. And we as humans have a really good knack for slapping a story to something that probably isn't related pretty sure 2011 that sell-off was related to the 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 impasse of the debt ceiling because we did miss the deadline we didn't default on the debt at that period we also got downgraded yep all right the s&p downgraded uh, u.s debt from triple a to double a plus keep in mind no other issuer in the entire world even apple has a triple a rating Mm-hmm. So the U.S. has never defaulted on its debt because it just prints money. So the stock market went down, recovered most of it by the remaining four months of the year. Mm-hmm. More impressively, the very thing that was under question, the U.S. Treasury, was up 15.5%. Hmm. And that's the intermediate like 7- to 10-year Treasury. Mm-hmm. The bond market was up 8%. Right. Why is the bond market not recovering as fast as the treasury market? What's the difference between these two, just for our listeners? When you say the bond market's up 8% and 
the seven to ten year treasuries up. You said sixteen. Yeah. The bond market does hold significant amount of treasuries in there, but it also holds corporate debt. Hmm. So it's more of a blend. Yeah, more of a blend. So that will do. It'll do well in good markets, but it won't bounce as much as U.S. Treasuries because Treasuries have zero credit risk in them. I see. So you're saying the bond market as a whole, which is a whole host of different types of bonds versus yes. if we just look at treasuries of a certain duration, in this case, seven to 10 years. Yes. Thanks. Carry on. Yep. So in an ironic sense, the very thing under that question has probably the most bounce, I guess, <laughs> when people go risk off. Um, they're buying the very thing that has been safe for the last 100 plus years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... So when we mention that the market goes risk off, it's definitely risk on right now. But if people suddenly don't like stocks anymore for the time being, they're going to buy U.S. Treasuries. And it's been so easy to access the U.S. Treasury market worldwide now that if there's uh, an issue in Europe or an issue in Canada, even in the U.S., you know, global investors are piling into their U.S. debt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Well, I want to close with just how interesting this year is. And, and I think um, if anybody was sitting in a room January 1st, I don't think anybody would have predicted where we are right now perfectly. And that is that U.S. stocks have done pretty well this year. Okay, maybe we could have predicted that. But it's all been giant stocks. Mid and small stocks have not done that great this year. They're basically flat. And that's yep. because of this whole regional banking crisis. I don't know that anybody predicted that one. Uh, international markets have been one of the best places to be so far this year. That couldn't have been predicted with much, much higher infl inflation over in Europe and, you know, not as strong of, of uh, an economy and more foreign dependence on oil, these sorts of things. It's been one of the best places to be this year. And that also includes emerging markets, which is predominantly uh, India and China. Uh, emerging markets had a better year than most areas last year in terms of it still lost money, but it lost less. Uh, and now this year it, it is showing positive returns. Um, and then finally, just with where interest rates have gone. So an interesting year, nonetheless, and, and, you know, I'll close with what I said at the beginning, our commentary here is, is really meant to just provide color on, on where we think things are now, hopefully help our listeners understand, you know, what's in their portfolio and why. Um, but it's not meant to say, you know, Hey, let's, let's sell completely out of this thing and go into that thing fully. Um, all of these decisions are made within the context of a well-diversified portfolio, um, which is always how we'll, we'll approach this. So, uh, I hope that this was helpful for everybody. This will be released along with the written document as well. And, um, yeah, that's it. All right. That was fun. Thanks. Thank you, everyone.